We're going to go ahead. Uh, this event is brought to you by Real Estate IQ. We are number one in deal finding with over 45,000 leads every month. Awesome. So this series is put together by Maurice Fetterbush. Um, he um, established value funding in 2010. Um, he enjoys working with investors and provides financing using a no-doc loan strategy. He also has conventional and all different kinds of loan products as well. So he does both residential and commercial. All right. And then our guest speaker today, Mr. Bill Kreider. Bill has been investing in real estate for more than 40 years has a large portfolio of rental homes and has flipped five properties so far this year. And he's also a private lender who lends his own money to other investors for purchase and rehab. So Bill, I'll let you take it from there. Thank you for being with right. us today. Thank you very much. And uh, the, the reason that I know Maurice is I've known Maurice for uh, oh, probably five or six years. And Maurice and I originally met at some real estate uh, investment club meetings that we both attended. And I've led a couple of real estate investment clubs here in uh, the Georgetown and Austin area, including the Austin Lenders and Borrowers Investment Club. And uh, Maurice is a regular at that. And uh, as a private lender, sometimes I fund uh, loans for some of the hard money lenders and other lenders in the area. So I'm familiar with a number of different lenders in the area and they're familiar with me. Um, and I should say that uh, besides uh, being a, a real estate investor and a lender, I also have a full-time day job. I do all of this uh, as a part-time endeavor on my part. Go ahead and, and go to the next slide if you would, please. So what is private lending? What is a private lender? I mean, you're all familiar with institutional lenders like banks and mortgage companies. You're familiar with mortgage brokers like Maurice. You're familiar with hard money lenders. But a private lender you may not have heard of. A private lender is very similar to a hard money lender, but there are major differences. A private lender is someone who's actually lending their own money. Most other lenders have a source of money that they're lending that's not their own money. They're making a percentage difference between what they're borrowing money and then they're lending the money out. This is the way banks do it, except for what are called portfolio lenders, which are local banks that have local investors and are lending out local money, but they're still lending out someone else's money. A private lender usually has some investment money. Uh, this might be self-directed 401ks or self-directed IRAs. It might be inherited money or money earned by other investments. Um, in my case, I, I didn't inherit anything, but I do have self-directed 401k from a previous employer. I have self-directed IRAs that I've built up over the years, and I have money that I've earned over the last 40 years in my real estate investments, which I must say that I've been very happy to have done pretty well in my real estate investments and I have money coming in from my uh, portfolio of rental properties, and I lend that money out to other real estate investors. Um, as such, private lenders usually don't have unlimited funds. So if you're going to a private lender, the timing on when you go to them is really important. If you go to a private lender, sometimes you may go to them and they may not be able to lend to you if all of their funds are lent out. Other times they may be more than happy to lend to you. So it's a little bit different from going to the bank or to a mortgage uh, broker like Maurice where they always have the money available. A private lender 
is um, someone who has a limited amount of money. Now, on some private lenders, I know one private lender who has literally only $50,000 available to lend. I know other private lenders who have literally tens of millions of dollars to lend. So it varies greatly from lender to lender. Private lenders, therefore, also tend to specialize more than other lenders. For example, I do very few first mortgages. If you come to me and ask for a first mortgage loan, I probably am not likely to do it. Not that I haven't done it. Um, I've done many first mortgage loans, but probably 80% of my loans are second mortgages. And almost all of my loans, I don't do any loans uh, for a person's homestead. If you're going to live in the house that you're going to borrow on, I won't loan to you. And the reason is, is that I'm not uh, qualified under the Sarbanes-Oxley rules. I'm not qualified under some of the Dodd-Frank rules. Um, I'm not a qualified mortgage lender under the federal government. Private lenders are governed by all of the same laws that all other lenders are, but they're not governed by the same policies necessarily. Banks have policies, mortgage brokers have policies. If you're lending and planning to sell your loans to FHA, you have policies, FHA policies you have to follow. As a private lender, I don't follow all those policies. I only follow my own policies. And my policy is I like to loan second mortgages uh, to investors. Why do I do that? Well, because I like to loan smaller amounts. My typical loan is fifty dollars to $100,000. I've done loans up to the largest one that I've done is $325,000. The smallest one I've done is under $10,000. But I also like to do loans that are typically six months to a year. I've done loans up to five years and I've done loans as, as short as a few weeks, but my sweet spot is six months to a year. So you can see 50 to $100,000, six months to a year, people that come to me in that sweet spot are more likely to get loans than someone who comes to me and says, I wanna borrow uh, $300,000 for five years. That would just tie up too much of my capital for too long of a time when I can turn that capital over several times in that same time period. Other lenders look at that and say, wow, I can, I can loan out $300,000 for five years and then not worry about it at all. And they like the security of that. It's like buying a bond and then just not worrying about it. So different private lenders have different policies and different goals in their lending. Also, the most important thing to remember about private lenders is that they're relationship lenders. To a private lender, the collateral is important, but the relationship with the borrower over the long term is the most important thing. We like to establish a relationship with a borrower and keep that relationship going. We focus more on the person we're lending to as much as the asset. In fact, after the first few loans, it's likely that the application process is just a phone call. Let me give you a couple of examples. There is a family up in Colleen that I've loaned money to. And over the last five or six years, I've loaned the money to them for second mortgages on 12 different houses. 
the first couple of houses, when they wanted to borrow the first house, I did, you know, background checks, all kinds of stuff on them. I did a lot of research on the properties. Um, the second one I did, I already knew about their background. I did a lot of research on the property. By the time the third one rolled around, they'd already sold the first one. They were well on their way on the second one. And I was getting a good feeling for these people. They knew what they were doing. I did a little bit of research on the property and saw that it was property just like the other two that they'd already borrowed on. And it, I had an answer for them within an hour. Now, when they call me up while we're on the phone, I go online. I look at the property on realtor.com. I look at the tax records. They tell me the deal on the phone and I give them an answer while we're on the phone. So our relationship is such that they can call me up and say, Hey, Bill, here's the address. Here's how much we're paying for it. Here's how much we want to borrow. And I give them an answer then and there. And the next day they have the money. So they're able to make real estate deals really fast, knowing exactly what they're going to get. And we have a relationship that's gone on now for five years and I don't see it changing anytime soon. I'll get rid of that phone call. So I have a similar relationship when I need to borrow money. Now, why would I need to borrow money? I've got lots of money sitting around. Well, because my money is in my 401k or my IRA. And if I want to borrow buy a house in my 401k or my IRA, that's fine. But sometimes my investment plan for a property might be that I want to buy it outside my, or excuse me, outside my IRA or 401k. And if I do that, then I may need to borrow the money for the uh, actual purchase of the property. And I have a relationship with a couple of private lenders that's just like that too. Literally, I call them up, I talk to them on the phone, and I say, here's the property, here's the deal. And by the end of the phone call, I have my approval. So it's that kind of a relationship that you really want to get to because when you want to make a deal on real estate, the faster you can make the deal, the quicker you get the answer, the better it is. Now, I'm not knocking mortgage brokers or hard money lenders or banks. They have their place. But believe me, when you get used to doing relationship lending, there's nothing like it. There's just nothing like it. It's the easiest kind of lending there is. So what's it cost? People always say, oh, well, what's your rate? The answer is it depends. You can think of me as being very competitive with hard money lenders, but it depends on the relationship. As the relationship improves, the rates also improve. For example, that family that I lend to in, in Colleen, yeah, there's somebody asking, what's my rate, my RROI? Well, as the relationship improves, the rate improves. The uh, family in Colleen, when I started out, I was lending to them at, uh, I was taking three points and 16% for a second mortgage. Now I lend to them two points and 12% for a second mortgage. Why do I do that? Because I know I have very little risk. They've proved, got a proven track record. And I lend that to them because I know that they could get a little bit better rate with my competitors. And I do that to keep their business. Um, if you came to me as a new borrower, you'd probably get my highest rate on the first loan. But as the relationship improved, the rates would also improve. So 
The answer is my rate depends on the deal, on the relationship, and on a whole lot of factors. It might also depend on how hungry I am at the moment. If all of my money is sitting in the bank and doing nothing, then I'm going to probably lend at better rates than if all my money is all lent out and I only have, maybe if I only have 100,000 sitting in the bank and you want to borrow 50,000 and all of my money's already lent out, I may charge a higher rate just because I don't have much money sitting around. And I already mentioned that private lenders are bound by the same laws as other lenders, but not by the policies. So most lenders are looking at packaging loans to be able to sell them on this, the secondary market. Private lenders are not looking at that. So what are my policies? They're whatever I decide that they are. Um, for example, I may decide uh, that I'm only going to, for the, during COVID, that I'm only going to lend in my county. I may decide uh, or I may decide that if I'm not getting very many loans and the money's sitting around that I may expand out into other states. They're my decisions and I make the decisions and it all, all depends on what I want to do. Um, sometimes I, by the way, sometimes I also partner with other private lenders. If somebody comes to me and they want to borrow more than what I have available and it's a good deal, then I may go, for example, several times I've got a cousin who's also a private lender. And sometimes we've partnered and put our money together and pooled it and lent it out. So while I don't have an unlimited source of funds, I do have other funds available if I want to do them. But it's still all based on relationships. Okay, go ahead to the next slide. And once again, feel free to interrupt me if you have questions. Now, private lending is a business. I know some private lenders who don't treat it as a business, and inevitably they get in trouble. And where they usually don't treat it in, as a business is they mix friends and family into their business. When their friends or family find out that they loan money, they think, oh, here's a soft touch. Here's an easy way to borrow money. And friends and family come to them and want to borrow money. Now, you may be thinking, this sounds like a pretty good thing, and maybe I should lend some of my money out. My money in uh, my IRA, for example, may be sitting in CDs and only getting 1% or less. And I'd really like to, uh, oh, here's a question. What's the guarantee you need for lending? For me, it must always be secured by real estate, and I only lend up to 70% loan to value. Other people will loan 80% or even 100%. It all depends on what policy you want. Um, I know private lenders who will only loan 50% loan to value. I know private lenders who will only loan on uh, the after repaired value. I know other private lenders who will loan only on the purchase value. So it, it depends on the private lender. For me, it's 70% of the current value. Oh, how can you find private lenders? That's a great question. And that's, that's the biggest question. The best place to find private lenders is through um, self-directed IRA custodians. Now, the self-directed IRA custodians can't tell you about who are their customers. But companies like, for example, I have all of my IRA and my 401k with Quest. 
but the best way is to network. Most of those groups, most of those custodians have networking uh, meetings where you can meet with other IRA, meet with the people who are their uh, customers and meet, go to those networking meetings or go online. A lot of them have online networking and that's the best way. Another way is through organizations like Real Estate IQ. There may be networking opportunities, but my, I found the best way is networking. Um, you can also advertise for private lenders on various places. Uh, I haven't found one good way, but the best way I found is networking. So when friends and family members find out that you loan money, they're naturally um, going to uh, come to you when they want to borrow money. Now, the problem is that's going to lead to complications and just downright weirdness. When you're going to make a loan to a family member, the odds are good they're going to talk to other family members about it. So the first thing is, is I'd recommend if you're going to loan money to a friend or family member, ask them not to talk to other family members about it because everybody's going to have an opinion. Let's suppose, for example, you're going to loan money to your brother and your brother tells your mom about it and your mom tells everybody. Then all of a sudden your mom is going to have an opinion. You know, you're charging him too much. You should just give him the money. You shouldn't give him, you know, you shouldn't have him make payments, blah, blah, blah. You're going to have all kinds of opinions and people have no part of the deal are going to want to stick their nose into it. People think that because they're family, they have a right to determine what your business deal is going to be. And if the deal goes bad, I should say when the deal goes bad, the borrower may appeal to your parents, your spouse, or your family members to exert influence. Let's suppose that you do loan money to your sister. And at some point, uh, your sister and her husband both lose their jobs and they can't make their payments. Then they go to your parents or to your husband or your wife. And they say, please tell him or her, we can't make the payments and that they should give us a, a break. They should let us wait. They shouldn't charge us late fees. They shouldn't, you know, just let us skip a few payments. And you're gonna have other family members exerting influence in a way that they should not. Can you imagine your mother going to your banker's wife and asking your banker's wife to tell your banker to let you skip some payments? That would never happen, or at least I hope it wouldn't. Why should that happen in your family? The other thing is you're going to be emotionally tied up in the deal in ways that are going to be bad for your pocketbook. You're going to, be, you're going to want to give them a break. You're going to want to help them out. But if you're depending on this income for any number of things, then it's going to be bad for you. Now, for example, if it's in my 401k, if it's money in my 401k, it's easier for people to rationalize, well, Bill is not going to need that money until he retires at some time in the future. So it's not going to hurt him to wait a few months for my payment because he doesn't need that money for years from now. Well, actually, I'm pretty close to retirement, so uh, it could hurt me pretty soon. But 
it's easy once again to rationalize. He doesn't need the money right now. And I need the money right now. So he should forgive that payment. And people may actually expect you to forgive the debt and resent it when you don't. Oh, he loaned us $10,000. You know, he should just let us have that money because, you know, he's my uncle and my rich uncle should just let me just forgive the debt. And why doesn't he do that? You know, he should just let me have it. He's my rich uncle. Trust me, when time gets rough, your loan is going to be the first thing that doesn't get paid. Not only that, you're going to be inclined and pressured to lend without collateral. I never lend without collateral. You, I always want real estate as collateral. I don't lend on cars or, or anything. In fact, the only collateral I lend on is single family homes. That's, that's the only thing I lend on. So if somebody comes to me and says, you know, you're my uncle, you're my brother, please loan me this money. First thing I'm going to say is how much equity do you have in your home? And that's, that's the key. Now, what about your children? Well, I've loaned money to my children and I've loaned to money to them without collateral. I've loaned money to them out a contract, but that's my children. Because if my children can't pay me back, that's life. So I consider that a completely different situation. If I have given money to my children, uh, and I'm talking about adult children, you know, I, I raised my children, I paid for, for them all through their lives. And, um, if I decide to loan money to my children and they don't pay me back, I consider that part of parenting. And if I raise them up so that they're not going to pay me back, then that's my fault. Any questions or even comments at this point? I just uh, want to say I agree wholeheartedly on, <laughs> on all that. Um, lent money to children as well. And sometimes you expect to pay back and set it up. And other times you just know it's not going to happen, at least not, not at this point. Um, but we did. A, and I also have had bad experiences with friends. So I like, I like what you said about you need to make sure you treat it as a business. And to set the expectations that it's going to be the same as if you were not related or friends. So Sam mentioned that there are scammers online offering private money. And how do you hold the guarantee? You do all this with a lawyer. Um, you do this with a trust deed, second deed of lien, same as you would do any other real estate transaction. You have to have a lawyer involved. You have to have all of the legal paperwork done. You have to file the lien. It has to all be done correctly. Um, the, the borrower is going to have to get a, uh, a, an appraisal. They're going to have to buy you title insurance. You're going to have to do it the same as any other real estate transaction. 
So if the, if the house doesn't appraise good enough, if they can't get clear title, no deal. Okay, Jeff, would you go on to the next slide? Number one rule, never lend money to someone you'd be unwilling to evict. If you are not willing to evict grandma, don't lend her money, okay? Don't lend money to someone you won't evict. And very frankly, if grandma needs the money, just give it to her, okay? If you are unwilling or can't afford to give her the money, then don't. I mean, it's, it's that simple. If you're not willing to evict them, give them the money or don't give them the money, period. Does that make sense? It comes down to that. But if they come to you and say, please let me borrow the money, don't do it. Just say, I can't loan you the money right now. Sorry. Or say, I won't loan you the money. It, that's, that's just tough love. You know, if you loan money to somebody, I promise you, you, they will resent you for it. You may think that they will love you for it, but they will resent you for it if they can't pay it back. I've been there. I've done that. And you don't want to do it. Jeff, next slide. This is a long-known rule of human relationships. William Shakespeare stated it back in his play Hamlet. Neither a borrower nor a lender be, for a loan oft loses itself and friend. What he's saying there is when you loan money to a friend, you lose both the friend and the money. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a borrower or a lender, but he's saying just don't lend money to a friend. And that would go without saying or a relative because you will alienate both the friend or the relative. If you're going to, if you feel compelled, then just give it. So let me tell you some true stories. Um, actually, only one of these happened to me, and that's the first one. The other ones are real situations that I know about that actually happened that I was familiar with. The first one, I actually had a borrower, uh, a friend who borrowed money with collateral. They made 12 monthly payments of 1% each, and then they stopped making payments. It was a five-year loan. And I said, where's the payment? And there, they said, you told me I only had to pay 12% interest. And I paid it. Think that through for a minute. They made 12 payments of 1% each. They paid 12% and they thought they didn't have to make any more payments. The answer to that was read the note. You make interest payments of 12. It was an interest only. I told them they had to pay interest only 12% for five years. That's what the note said. They, they chose to misunderstand that. I told them it was an interest only loan at 12%. Their thought was, oh, I paid the 12% and I don't have to pay anything else. And no, another situation, the borrower didn't make any payments. This was a friend of mine, loaned money. And then he called them up and their answer was, you told me it was a five-year loan that I didn't have to pay it back for five years. No, you have to make monthly payments. They didn't, they didn't understand the whole thing about monthly payments. Another situation, a couple made payments until they got a divorce. And then uh, it was actually, they, he, he had given them a loan so that they could buy a truck. The husband got the truck and he tried to collect the truck payments from the husband. The husband who was now divorced from the sister said, go collect it from your sister. I'm not paying it. But he had the truck and it was in his name. Okay. 
and this last one, I had a person actually come to me and offer to let me uh, assume the mortgage on their house. Basically, they offered to give me the house. I could just take over the payments. Why? Because they had given a loan to their sister and their sister stopped making the payments. And after she stopped, make, she stopped making the payments because she got a divorce and her husband, she, she didn't have a job. Her husband, when the husband left the scene, she said, I can't make the payments. For three years, she made no payments. And so he was making the payments. Sister said, I can't pay it right now. I'll pay it when I can, because I know you won't evict your nieces and nephews. And he wouldn't, because he wouldn't be the bad guy and evict her and the nieces and nephews. So he basically offered to let me take over the payments and own the house so that I could evict his nieces and nephews. By the way, in that situation, I ended up helping him actually sell the house so that somebody else could evict the nieces and nephews. But that was, once again, uh, his sister just took advantage of him. These are all true stories. People that loan money to family members. So any questions, comments, or other war stories? Anyone care to share what happened when they loaned money to friends or relatives? Now, instead of loaning money to friends or relatives, what I recommend you do is you send them to Maurice or me and we'll loan them some money. Now, if they can't get qualified by Maurice or by me, then probably they shouldn't be borrowing money. There's probably some other solution that they've overlooked. Bill said hey. that he lent money to his sister for down payment of a home and never got any of that back. Not, not me, different Bill. Right, <laughs> different Bill. And there is, a, there is another question um, in the Q&A. Trina's asking, are there disadvantages to using SDIRA and 401ks? For private lending or for investing? I would assume for private lending. Maybe to answer both. <laughs> okay, so investing using your SDIRA or your self-directed 401k, I think is one of the greatest things that ever came along. And I've been doing it for about eight or nine years. And um, the big advantage of it is that you don't have to pay taxes on the profit. Um, when you, when you, for example, if I, if I loan you money and I make, let's say 14% interest on it. If I did that out of my private, my own personal funds, I would have to pay income tax on that, let's say 30%. So instead of making 14%, I would only be making about seven or 8%. But if I make that, do that in my IRA, then I'm making the whole 14% and I can reinvest that whole 14%. Now the catch is I can't touch those funds to spend them until I retire. But that's a good thing because I have to reinvest them. And it, so I keep uh, compounding those funds until I actually do retire. The, um, the downside, of course, is that you do take a risk, as in, in any investment has a risk. However, if you have used real estate as collateral, and you've only used real estate as, at 70% of its value, then your risk is very low. Because the worst thing that can happen is the best thing that can happen, which is if someone defaults, then you take their property at 70% of its value. Well, I only loan on property that I would like to own. 
That's one of the first questions that I ask myself when someone wants to borrow money. I look at the collateral and I say, would I like to own this property? And if I look at the collateral and I don't like the collateral, I tell them, no, I don't want to loan you money on that collateral. And I've done that many times because the collateral wasn't something that I wanted to own. So far, I've never had to foreclose on any collateral. So I haven't you know, had the, any reason to take anyone's property. Um, I do have one situation where I might have to foreclose on someone. I actually loaned someone $15,000. Uh, I normally don't loan on vacant land, but I did loan someone $15,000 on a piece of land that at the time was worth $30,000. Now that land is worth $45,000 and I may have to foreclose on it. Well, if I get a piece of land that's worth $45,000 for $15,000, oh, okay, I can live with that. So is, is it a good thing? Yeah, I think it's a good thing. There was a question that popped up, but I did, didn't have time to read it. I would also suggest if you have any questions about that, that you contact somebody at Quest Trust or another IRA specialist, and they can answer any, any de detailed questions about lending and the restrictions or borrowing and the restrictions, because there are some restrictions. For example, um, if the money is in your, your IRA, you can't lend it to your parents or to your children from your IRA. So right. there are some different rules like that that they can fill you in on. So we're going to come back. There's a couple other questions. I'm going to cut in with a quick commercial for Real Estate IQ, and then we'll come back to a couple other questions that we have. Um, so first of all, we'd appreciate your feedback about this event. So Jeff is going to put up a poll for you. So we'd appreciate it if you would answer that and kind of give us your opinions, what kind of changes you might like to see in our events, things like that. All right, so Real Estate IQ, what do we offer? So the first thing we offer is our fast CMA, and that's that um, you can let, our, let the computer run comps for you, and you can do it quickly and easily yourself. You don't have to wait for a real a realtor friend to do that and get back to you, and it uses actual MLS data, so it's also very accurate. And that's part of our deal analysis suite, which starts at just $15 a month. And it also includes a repair estimator and deal analyzer calculator. So that's kind of our lowest level. Then we have a deal finding suite that includes everything in the deal analysis suite, plus also off-market leads. Uh, and I'll come back to these things in a minute here. County data finder, MLS deal finder, over 45,000 new leads every month. So our off-market leads are updated every day. We mine the data ourselves directly from the courthouse. So they're always fresh and accurate. Whoops. <clears throat> and it looks like we're missing a couple other slides, but that's okay. We'll go without them. County Data Finder um, is searches the tax record, so you can create a really focused list to market to. A lot of people use this to market to absentee owners, for example, or to find uh, small multifamily properties, things like that. 
And MLS Deal Finder lets you search the MLS for properties that are listed below market value. And you can also choose to get a notification whenever a property that meets your criteria comes on the market. Okay, my apologies, that link to the survey will be coming later, <laughs> but I would ask you to fill it out if you'd like to help us out, that would be great. All right, we also have awesome, awesome customer service. Um, to our response is, is kind of our guarantee. It's usually a lot quicker than that. You can call, send an email, or we've got a little chat bot on our um, website that goes to a live person. All right, we have some freebies for just for being here today. We have some heat maps that kind of show you where the deals are. And we have our deal of the day, which is a live MLS deal that you could make an offer on, but it's also a great educational tool. You just kind of want to learn more about what's on the market, what kind of things to look at when you're analyzing a deal. All right, if you missed the chance to get a free 45-minute one-on-one deal finding training earlier, just put demo please in the chat and somebody will, will make sure you get contacted for that. All right, I'd also like you to please join our new community portal. This is a new social media site just for real estate investors. So it's gonna be a great place to find private money if you're looking for that, to offer yours if you need a deal to invest it in. Um, also a great place just to connect with other investors, find services that you need like um, lenders, title companies, insurance, whatever you're looking for. And we have some groups here too. So I encourage you to find a group that applies to you and join that. So I've got a women in real estate group. I've got Houston Deal Finders Lounge. We also have a Deal Finders Lounge for um, Florida, other locations. We've got Latinos in real estate, all kinds of good things there. So please go there, join it. It's it's still kind of small, but we're expecting it to grow really big and be a place where people are actively doing, <clears throat> doing deals and helping their business. Excuse me. <clears throat> All right, you probably already found our events page because you made it here today. If not, you can click here on events when you go to our website, or this is the shortcut link, and you can check out all of our upcoming events. Okay, was this in, um, should we go to the Q&A now, Jeff? Looking at the slides here. Yep, Becky. Okay. Yeah, let's go ahead and go to those other questions, Bill, that have come up. Okay, I saw somebody asking, what do, real, what do lawyers typically charge? And the answer is, it varies greatly from lawyer to lawyer. It can be anywhere from a couple of hundred dollars to thousands of dollars but you typically have the borrower pay that. You don't typically pay that. You typically have the borrower pay that. As far as the title uh, for preparing the documents, the lender, the realtor will do that. But a lot of times that's done in the title company. If you do this through an escrow and a title company, then they can prepare all of the documents as well. They'll have their in-house attorney do it. And that's the cheapest way. And the title insurance will do all of the title work. So, um, and that's usually all paid for by the borrower. So you don't have to concern yourself with that. The borrower does. Uh, the question before that one was, do you check the borrower's credit and what else do you check? Yes, I always check the borrower's credit. Um, 
I also, uh, I run a background check on the borrower, especially the first time, because I want to make sure that the borrower has not uh, got any fraud or criminal background. Now, uh, I, I'm a little unusual there in that I am not personally, all right, so there are obviously some people who will say any criminal background, I'm not, not going to touch you. But I'm a person who believes in second chances. So, for example, I've loaned money to people who had, uh, you know, maybe some, some arrests in their college days for possession. I don't care about that. Uh, I've, I've had uh, some, some people who right away, when they first talked to me, said, look, I spent three years in jail. I paid my debt and I've reformed myself. And I'm like, okay, good. You told me about it up front. I've had people who had pretty bad histories and turned their lives around. On the other hand, I've had people who had relatively minor things pretty far in the past and swore up and down to me that they were clean and they had great, you know, history and everything. And I turned them down because they lied to me about it up front. So I'm not looking for people with perfect histories. I'm looking for people who are honest today and who, if, if they've got a history, they've turned themselves around. But I do look for, if I see fraud in their history, forget it. You know, I, I'm, I'm not interested in talking with them at all. Um, I, very frankly, I work with a lot of minority folks and um, I, I've, I guess I've found kind of a niche because uh, I've had a lot of folks tell me, you know, that I do a lot of private lending to minorities that other people won't lend to. And that's fine by me because I've met some really great folks. I do a lot of mentoring and uh, a lot of my private lending has worked out of that because there are a lot of people that are just getting started that just can't borrow money otherwise. So that's something. There's a question there about wholesalers. I work with wholesalers all the time. I buy houses from wholesalers. Wholesalers come to me and they say, I got a guy who's buying a house from me and uh, he needs the money to do the rehab. He's got the money for the down payment. He's got the money to, to buy the house or maybe he's doing a subject to, but he needs money to do the rehab. Can you loan him $30,000 to do the rehab? And by the way, it's his first flip and he's never done this before. And I say, I'll do it as long as he's going to sit down with me every two weeks while he's doing the flip and we're going to go through what he's done, what he's working on, and we're going to talk about it. It's a relationship. It's not, I'm not just going to loan him the money and hang him out there to dry because if it's his first flip, I want to make sure that he's really going about it the right way. So this is, I'm, I'm different from a bank. Uh, it's a relationship situation. I think the key with wholesalers until you've got somebody that you know and can trust is just to always verify and never take their word for the ARV, never take never, their word never. for the rehab costs. Because <laughs> a lot of times I've found the ARV is higher than it really is and the rehab costs they give you are lower than it really is. So always verify those things for yourselves. And then when you find somebody and they're, they're accurate, you know, then maybe as you work with them, you can start to trust them, but always verify every, all that stuff for yourself. That's not just wholesalers. That's anybody. I don't take anybody's word for the ARV or the rehab costs ever. Um, not, not the seller, not the buyer, not the, not the real estate agents, because my opinion of them 
could be entirely different. And by the way, I, I very typically, I really like to loan on, on properties in central Texas. That's my preference because I will, I will typically go out and personally walk around the properties myself. I'll, in central Texas, I will go and look at the properties I'm going to loan on. I don't send an appraiser out. I go out and look myself. I'm the loan committee. I'm the appraiser. I'm the inspector. I'm a one-man operation. Um, so do you ever do, do you ever loan for an equity share rather than an interest? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do joint ventures. I do partnerships. Um, most of them though are just loans. I'm doing a, I'm doing a joint venture right now. Uh, I'm doing a joint venture actually with a wholesaler who brought me a deal and, and he wanted to sell it to me and we were scratching our heads going, how can we make this work? How can we make this work? And finally, I looked at it and I said, you know what? The only way we're going to make this work is a joint venture. That's the only way we're going to make this work. Initially, we thought partnership, but then we said joint venture. So, you know, we, and, and I'm going to loan the money to the joint venture. So I'm putting up, in this case, I'm putting up all of the money. Uh, and he's not, he's not having to come up with a penny. But, uh, you know, that, that's the other thing about, there's, there's not any bank that's going to do something like that. That's the other thing about many private lenders are not also investors, but in my case, I am. So some private lenders are. You'll find all kinds of, with private lenders, there's no rules really, except the rules that the lender makes. And I have people coming to me proposing new stuff all the time and I go scratch my head and go, why didn't I think of that? Okay. Creative financing. Oh, and Eric just posted that. Do you use creative financing and what's the different difference between a partnership and a joint venture? I was using creative financing in the seventies. Back in the seventies, creative financing, no money down was creative financing. Uh, assumptions were creative financing. Um, so the difference between a partnership and a joint venture is in a partnership, both of you become owners of the partnership and you are in a business together. In a joint venture, you have two separate businesses that have agreed to do something together mutually. In a partnership, you file one uh, tax return that has both your names on it. In a joint venture, you file two tax returns that each have expenses that are shared. Does that make, make sense? A joint venture is two business entities doing something together. A partnership is one business entity doing something and you're both on it together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Roy says, if I have a 401k, can I loan money out or do I need to open an account with Quest? Okay. First of all, it can be any custodian. So I don't work for Quest. I don't shill for them. I'm one of their customers. Okay. So let me say that up front, but I'm a pretty loyal customer. I've been using them for years and I like them. There are other custodians. So 
you're, the answer is it depends on your custodian. Now, so what's the difference between a self-directed 401k and other 401ks? And the answer is it depends on your custodian. What will your custodian let you invest in? If you have a custodian, let's suppose your custodian is Charles Schwab. Charles Schwab will let you buy whatever is on their list. Okay, so if you call up Charles Schwab and say, I want to buy 123 Main Street in my 401k, they'll go, that's not on our list. If you call up Charles Schwab and say, I want to buy the mortgage on 123 Main Street, they'll say, that's not on our list. If you call up Charles Schwab and say, I want to lend money to Bill Kreider, they'll say, that's not on our list. If you if your 401k is with Quest and you call them up and say, I want to buy 123 Main Street, they'll go, okay. You call up Quest and say, I want to loan money to Bill Kreider, they'll go, okay. You call up Quest and say, I want to buy the note that's on 123 Main Street, they'll go, okay. Because they don't have a list. It's whatever you want to do, it's self-directed. With, with other custodians, they have a list of things that they make a commission on, and that's all you can buy. With a self-directed custodian, there's no list. All that there is is a list of what you cannot buy. What you cannot buy is anything that's not allowed by the IRA, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the IRS. The IRS says you cannot buy and sell things that are owned by your parents or your children. You cannot buy and sell things that are collectibles. You cannot buy and sell life insurance. That's it. So what you would do if you wanted to invest it in real estate and your custodian doesn't let you is do it. Get a new custodian. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And there are, there are also, sometimes you can also transfer into a Roth or put new money into a Roth IRA where the profit you make is interest-free. Not interest-free. Interest Tax-free, <laughs> that's what I meant. Yeah, so there's two, two kinds of IRAs and 401ks, traditional and Roth. On a traditional one, um, you don't pay tax on what you put into it, but you pay tax on what you take out of it. On a Roth, you don't pay tax, you pay tax on what you put into it, but you don't pay tax on what you take out of it. The question is, do you want to pay tax on the seed or the harvest? And I recommend you pay tax on the seed, but not the harvest. In other words, get a Roth. Right. <laughs> the only problem with the Roth is when you, if you're opening up a new one, you can't do anything with it for a period of time. There's, there's, yeah, there's, there's consequences either way, but, yeah. uh, you know, you talk to Quest or, or whoever you're going with, and they'll, they'll walk you through all of it. All right. That seems to be all the questions so far. Uh, was this information? Oh, here's a question. When, when you do a transaction with your custodian, do you have access to the money right away? Like if you buy on auctions, would you be able to have a cashier's check to pay for the house in case you win the auction? Uh, pretty much so. Yes. I mean, there's uh Within 24 hours, for sure, and sometimes a lot less than that. 
it's pretty easy to get the access to the money. Yep, they're really quick. Okay, if you're planning to buy property over the in the next 12 months, can you see how adding financing available will drive buyers to you? Uh, okay, that's a separate thing. <laughs> um, so one of the things that Maurice can do is he can be a recommendation where if somebody wants to buy a property, they can't qualify for, or a, for a conventional or traditional loan. He's got alternative ways that you can offer to the buyers of your house. So that can help you get it sold sometimes. All right. Give Value Funding a call to be your in-house lender to pre-qualify your buyers. Here's the information for Value Funding. And Bill's contact information is in the chat as well. And uh, the next topic in two weeks, double commissions for realtors, a new marketing approach is going to be the topic. And so that would be, my calendar's on the wrong page. Two weeks from today. <laughs> so again, there's Maurice's contact information. There's Bill's here as well as in the chat. And my contact information is in the chat as well if you have any questions about Real Estate IQ. So if you have any other questions, you can always contact Bill directly. And so if there's no more questions today, all the slides, that's it. Happy deal finding. Thank you so much, Bill. That was a lot of good, useful information. Um, Thank you. Yeah, especially if somebody has not worked with a private lender yet. Um, that's my first deal. Actually, we've done a couple flips um, using private, private lenders and just the flexibility is really nice versus going with a commercial hard money lender. All right, there's the poll about our webinars and or information that you would like and how you'd like us to contact you. And then Jeff, you had a link to another survey. Um, that will be automatic, Becky. So for attendees, once you close the webinar room or we ended the room today, you'll be automatically routed to the survey. So feel free to answer and give us your recommendations. All right. Awesome. All right. Thank you all for being here today and enjoy this nice, cool weather if you're in Texas anyway. <laughs> Definitely uh, skipped fall and went to winter for the day, but it's kind of a nice change. So enjoy, stay safe and well, and have a great rest of your day. Thanks, everyone. All right, bye now. For webinar schedules, follow us at our official social media accounts or visit us at www.realestateiq.co.